Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, well, almost didn't happen. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and he, thankfully, sliding into home plate just in time, is Andrew Page from strawman.com. Mr. Page, I would ask, how are you? I know how you are. You are really crook. Yeah. Yeah, it's not uh, It's not been a great week, mate. I, um, I've, I've finally... You've cough. I've finally been hit with the Rona, and... Oh. Let me tell you, I dodged this thing for three and a half years mm. and I really started to believe that I was something special, you know, like just I'm one of those one in a thousand people that are naturally immune or something and, you know, bullets could bounce off me and <laughs> and then reality came and slapped me across the face. Um, so, yeah, it's it, I'll live, but it's. It's not fun. I can tell. Oh, I can mate, tell you, you poor that. I, I'm sorry to hear it, mate. Um, hopefully, hopefully you are uh, you're on the mend uh, quickly. Look, fools. Honestly, we don't know how long this this podcast's going to last. <laughs> I'll say that up front. It may be really short. We may get through it. We may have to reconsider Sunday's mailbag. Andrew has just, I, I, you know, I'm half of our listeners. Thank you for making the effort, mate. Because can I say, look, well, luckily for me, guys, we're doing this over Zoom, so I'm not going to get crook. Uh, but also, yeah. Andrew's got in front of him tea, coffee, some sort of throat numbing, special medicine, magic thing. Uh, it's uh, he's done everything, pull out all the stops. He said to be we're supposed to record this yesterday. This recording is on on the actual day of release for the first time yeah. in a long time because you just couldn't do it yesterday, mate. So uh, thank way. you on behalf of um, on behalf of our listeners for for. Uh, look, look, let's look, look, let's you know, I'm I'm no martyr. Can I? Can can I be no, honest I here? Yeah, the, yeah. Um, if it wasn't for the Tim Gurner stuff, I would have just said, "Nah, let's not do it." But I, I, I had to throw in some comments, uh, and I was like, "I would, I would have like dragged myself across hot coals just to to throw a few sort of <laughs> uh, spicy ones in there because it was just it's it's too good a topic oh, not to chat about." So that's that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just you're just here for the shade. You hear the throw the shade. Absolutely, I've got plenty of shade to throw. And I just, you know, you with the crunches on and just struggling through the bombs exploding in the barriers. Like, let me just add, you're going to get, you're going to get through there just to stick the knife in. Absolutely, with your dying and, breath, and, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Let me just allegedly. Say. Oh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit careful about what we say, just because you know, I'd rather not get some uh, oh. lawyers' letters after the podcast. But uh, we'll yeah. keep it factual. We'll keep it factual. Page P A G E for anyone taking notes. <laughs> um, that's my usual joke, mate. Um, let's uh, let. Thank you uh, for. Um, Thank you for spending some time with us, mate. Thanks for doing it. Uh, let's get on with it. Hey, um, this week, the best bit of good news. I'm not going to say we've had for a while, but I'm going to say the best, well, I don't know. Unemployment, 3.7%. I was really, really happy with the um, the good news on that one, um, which was that... We had an increase in the participation rate, so more people wanted to either, well, more people wanted to work who were either in work or join the unemployment queue because they couldn't find work. But there were also 65,000 jobs created. And I have to say, when we talk about the percentages, and they kind of matter as a, as a point in time, you know, you have to, you have to find one, some way of expressing it. We always should have more jobs created because the population is growing and business is growing. And so, you know, over time, you'd expect that. You can't really look at the number of jobs in isolation. But when you have both of those things happening at the same time, uh, unemployment flat, participation rate increasing, number of jobs increasing. I just thought it was a really good sign, mate. And I, and I, I don't know. I, you know, you know, I'm a Pollyanna. You know, I'm an optimist. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the one bit of good news in a sea of bleak disaster. 
Um, well, it could have been worse. Uh, but um, I don't know, mate. I, I, it feels like we're it feels like we're not miles away from the chance of a soft landing here. I I don't want to be too optimistic. You're normally the the, the less optimistic of the two of us, generally speaking. So you'll <laughs> you're welcome to, you're welcome to drag me down off my off my off my special platform here and uh, show me the reality. But I don't know. I, I you know retail sales are falling. We've talked about that. We know that you know inflation is still too high. Rates are still high, um, at least compared to where they were a couple of years ago. I don't know. I, I, am I am I silly in thinking maybe just maybe we get through this one? No, I mean, look, I'll, I'll admit up front, I have not read into the details. Um, can I ask you to clarify? Is that sixty five thousand new jobs created for the month? For the yes, quarter, for the month. For the, for the year. Month. Okay. So, so right. the most recent monthly numbers, sixty five thousand, which was enough. So we had more people looking for jobs. Effectively, they were offset by the new number of jobs created. So we have mm-hmm. we actually have more. That's the that's the beautiful thing about it. You know, if the if those people hadn't joined the workforce, and they're entitled to, of course, but um, if they hadn't, then the unemployment rate would have actually fallen. So it's one of those right. situations where you say, you know what, the economy asset, the percentage is the most important one over time. But you've got to look at the participation rate. You've got to look at the number of jobs created in absolute terms because those things are all functions of each other. You know, for example, if if 200,000 200, people dropped out of the labor force tomorrow and said, I'm sick of work, I'm going to retire early, our unemployment rate had dropped precipitously. And we think we were yeah. geniuses, right? Just because somehow we'd, we, we you know, solved this problem. Uh, equally, if 200,000 people joined the labor force, we didn't find jobs for them, the unemployment rate would go up. So it's kind of one of those things that's not as... The percentage isn't as useful as it as it might otherwise be without that extra context. Okay, cool. Yeah, no. Look, I, I look. I, I I don't want to be negative at all. I think you've got to celebrate uh, good news. I mean, it is it is insanely low, right? Like three point six percent is. Like, yeah. I want to say even in the best of times, usually, what are they? The economists love to say that five percent is full unemployment. That was the that was the that was the belief, right? So before before COVID, the genuine mm. belief they had this thing called NIRU. It's the non-accelerating <laughs> inflation right. rate of unemployment, N A I R U. And the thinking was simply, and it's not you know as, as an economic concept, the idea that at some point the lack of people available to fill jobs would simply push wages up, which would then push inflation. It, it makes again math- mathematically entirely sensible. And they'd mm-hmm. kind of they'd kind of put a they kind of you know stab in the dark. Unemployment had never been this low for fifty years, right? So they kind of went, well, I guess at this point this must be roughly what full employment looks like. In other words, below that level, it causes undue responses. So it's it's kind of a you know it, it may be a problem if unemployment gets that low. And all of a sudden, as you say, lo and behold, mm-hmm. they've all had to go back to their textbooks and cross out some numbers with a a five or a four in front and say so maybe. Now I will say by the way, we actually have. High, high inflation and i don't think it's necessarily wages driven but we can't yet say the the idea is dead but it absolutely has made people reassess what that level is yeah well yeah um let me be negative just for fun though um the the thing to remember with unemployment is that it is always good right before <laughs> yeah, exactly. a, a recession right that and that's that's so true always that's so always. true so if you go back and again it's not an ipso facto kind yep. of thing yep. so therefore yep. we're about to have a recession. i'm not saying that but i i do urge caution and i know you're not saying this but you do see it yep. <coughs> pardon me you do see it in the media a bit where people will say well look unemployment's really low therefore we're fine yeah and you go back to in any <laughs> developed economy certainly in australia mm-hmm. right before the recession <laughs> Unemployment's great because because people don't 
people don't let go of their workers until yeah. they have to. Yeah, you know, and it's it's not it's not some um, active charity. It's just mm-hmm. like when it costs money yeah. to get rid of workers because yeah. you've got to pay all these entitlements and redundancies, and then it costs a whole bunch of money to find it's them right. again and then train them up again. Yep. So. You know, employers aren't silly, generally speaking. Yeah. <clears throat> Some who might work in property development and give speeches <laughs> at the AFI property forum maybe the exception I think to the rule. This podcast is going to have a theme, but yes, keep going. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it is it is something that that we need to be careful not to go. This is good, therefore yeah. everything is good. Correct, so I'll, I'll just make the comment that great. It's really good mm-hmm. that it's low. Most people mm-hmm. who who want a job have got a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other, like just to throw a little bit of shade is that the you need you need to also look at to to be qualified as employed. You need to do one hour a week, I think yep. it is, or yeah, something like right. that. I think that's right. So the level of underemployment is actually pretty high, and when you start carving it up into uh, different demographics, so particularly uh, younger people and stuff, there are there are some genuine problems there. And then I might let's say that let's say that. Um, uh, you know, a million people are unemployed in Australia. And I say, well, here you go. I'll give you a dollar for an hour's worth of work per week. Now, the stats are going to look really good. Like, yes, whoa. Exactly. Yep. And it's yep. like, but those people now, although I'm breaking every sort of wage rule and stuff in, in Australia, but my my example, just to, as, to be a, a silly one, shows that no, <coughs> those people aren't necessarily in great shape, you know, it's... Um, so it's it, this is always the case with economic data. To my view, is that you you need to always take a holistic view. And how does it fit in with sort of everything else? And sometimes it's more important sort of the directional trend as opposed to the absolute number as well. Um, so anyway, just I, I, I'm not trying to rain on the prey just for the for the sake of it, but just to put some context around that. But yeah, let's let's hope it stays nice and low, and and let's yeah. hope that. You know, those who, who continue to want work can, can find it and yeah. that the quality um, and conditions of that work are, are reasonable. Mate, we've got a lot to talk about, but I want to I want to actually spend another couple of minutes um, just kind of getting your... <laughs> this could be a conversation. Well, I'm going to try and keep this conversation short for both of our sakes and mostly yeah. for the sake of our listeners, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I, I... There is a lot of talk about this whole full employment thing, this jobs guarantee idea, and... I I have a relatively pragmatic view here, which is I think it's almost certainly the case that you can't have absolute full employment without meaningfully rampant inflation, almost by definition, because you and you also can't get growth, right? You, the 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 workers available with the right skills and the right jobs, like the simple reality of a incredibly complex system we call the economy, mm. just doesn't doesn't work that way, and. That is a really, really brutally mercenary thing to say because what effectively it implies is some people must be unemployed for this whole thing to work. I just don't see an alternative that's better. And I guess, you know, I, I've, I've ranted about capitalism on Twitter during the week. Um, I get that people see some failures and excesses of capitalism and say, therefore, tear the whole thing down. I, get, I, absolutely, I really get that idea, right? Of like, let, well, let's just, let's just trash it and start again then. The problem is I, my, my very firm view is it's still the least worst solution and we need to as a society, as, as governments, allow for those rough edges and, and smooth them off and, and make it okay for people who get hurt by it. And so when people say, you're just saying you're, you, you want people to be unemployed so your system works, I'm like, well, I don't want it to be true. I don't see how it works without it. So that's, this, you know, for, for, the, for the benefit of the masses, there, it, ends, it turns out 
that there is going to be some ongoing unemployment. That's just, that's just how this thing works. We can all go back to agricultural subsistence farming. If everyone else off their own farm and be poor and die at 30 of horrible, nasty diseases with no medical care. Or we can say the price of this is, unfortunately, and very, very, you know, I want to be very clear about it. We're not pretending it's not there. But my, my thought is that that's, that's kind of the situation that we're in. I don't, I don't know of a better system and I don't know how we do the system without it. I think the, the reality is we have unemployment as low as we reasonably can to make the system work. And then we really look after those who, as a result, can't get jobs because that's kind of the deal of society, right? We are we are going to have a system that means, I'm unfortunately, you're out of work. And I wish I could change that, but I can't do it in a way that's less worse. So I'm going to make sure you're okay. Is, is that a horribly craven, nasty, horrible thing to say that kind of gives up on a, on a better alternative? How would you respond to that kind of idea? Um. It's hard, isn't it? I, I, I think we overestimate our ability to control for it. I, I think there yeah, is also true, yeah. naturally going to be unemployment. And and sometimes that's probably a good a healthy thing. Not not because it helps in, like people like Tim Gurner keep wages low and workers motivated. <laughs> what you know the I'm Tim Gurner podcast. Back. Oh I'm yeah, I'm working this in at every at every angle. You, you paid but, per mention, I think, is from the <laughs> but but let's say that um, in a really healthily functioning economy, mm-hmm. there's just going to be people who's like, you know what, I'm really not happy with my current career. I've yeah. saved up a bit of money. I'm in a good position. I'm just going to yeah. going to quit for the moment while I look for something better or something happens in my life. Or, Maybe I have to care for a family member or something like that. So it's, there's a difference to my mind between chronic, the, the chronically underemployed, uh, unemployable almost. Yeah, it's good. Versus what is just I. There, there's always going to be a degree of churn in the economy, right? Yes, that's so that's true. <laughs> if one in twenty people are quote unquote unemployed, mm. but you know, are realistic in the expectation they could again be employed in something that is meaningful within a reasonable time frame. That's a very different thing to someone as, as to saying, no, there's just always going to be 5% unemployed and who can never get a job no matter how hard right. they try right, right, right. unless they want to go, you know, clean toilets for 50 cents an hour. That, yes, so there's, exactly. there's, a, yep. there's a big, yep. there's a big, um, uh, yeah, the subtlety in that. Yep. Um, the I saw a really good tweet actually the other day, which was, you know what we should do? We should like divide a country in half and um, we'll let one be uh, communist and we'll let the other be capitalist. And let's run it forward 70 years and see how things turn out. And then have <laughs> a picture of South Korea. Yeah, a picture of South Korea and then North Korea. Ah, like, nice. There you go. Like <laughs> and then, and then uh, in the comments, people are making the, the comparison with East and West Germany and stuff as well. Right. So it's, yeah, yeah it, it is, it is. You're right. Um, we, have got some, we have had some natural experiments in the past. Let's be, let's be frank. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, I. I, I think perfect is the enemy of the good. I think that there is a lot of, it, as we said in a recent podcast, that the trouble with these terms is they are so loaded and they will mean a lot yeah. of things to a lot of different yeah, that's people. True, so you've got to be careful. And I'm always, I cringe a little bit because it's just, I, I'm, the last thing I want to do is come out as some yeah. fanboy for capitalism because that's yeah. that's just going to, for some people, going to be super rational. For other people, it's going to be very triggering. Yeah, and it's yeah. going to depend. And when you question them on, well, what do you what do you understand by that comment? Totally They'll be right. very, very different understandings. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going to change it anytime soon. I do. I do think for me, the the best division here is one between what you might call a healthy functioning form of capitalism and, and crony capitalism. Yes, uh, yeah. which I think increasingly we have here, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really bad. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would make. 
<coughs> pardon me. The, the other observation I would make is that I think, um, for want of a better term, because again, it is loaded, I think capitalism is an entirely natural state of affairs. I um, completely agree. If we bombed ourselves back to the Stone Age and the remnants of humanity banded together and started to rebuild, you know, you'd, you'd be there yeah. uh, collecting firewood. I'd be trying to fish three-eyed fish out of the pond, you know, to <laughs> to feed us. And we would trade. Of course we, we would. We would trade with I one another. I got extra fish. Do you want one of these? Sure. Well, I've got some of this. Okay, that sounds like a good deal. Exactly. You know, and and it would it it's an emergent sort of yep. phenomenon. Yep. And so when you have things, I'm a very big believer in individual property rights and in the protections of trade and all these kinds of things because it is something that's not, it's not a zero sum game. It's additive. Trade is trade is a situation where everyone wins. You know, unless unless you're trading mm. at gunpoint, yeah, which, is, which right. is theft. You know, when but when you are trading, so it's yep. it's like yep. when you understand it. I think in that context, I think it's a very healthy, mm. very healthy thing. It's when there is an imbalance of bargaining powers that things get really out of whack, and there's there's always going to be a natural tension there, mm. and it's a good thing. You know, sometimes. Um, the the owners of, of capital will have too much say, and yeah. that's not that's not a good thing. Yep. Sometimes the the labor um, side of things will have too much sway, and that's not mm -hmm. a good thing. There's a natural mm -hmm. tension, right? Yep. And and the pendulum swings swings back and forth, but. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. What's my point here? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. you, 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 you <laughs> yeah. You, <coughs> we have a, we have the potential to go down very deep rabbit holes we with do. this kind of stuff, and it it does it actually. When you start thinking about this stuff, it's very deep, right? Mm. And I would argue that it's actually, when you think about us as a species and what gives us our superpowers, <laughs> it's not yeah, really right. the opposable thumbs, you know? Yeah. Uh, language is important, but it's it's our ability to coordinate with strangers and cooperate Million that percent. is given, you know, that is why we are mm -hmm. rulers of the planet. Yep. You know, yep. that I can, I can, I can interact with someone in South Korea who doesn't speak the same language. We've never met. None of our families know it. Not any, and we can, we can interact through this thing called Don't money. Say it. Don't say it. Oh, good. Dad said money. Well, well, there's different types of money, <laughs> but, but we can, we can, you know what I mean? And that is, that is, yeah. that is our superpower. Yeah, and, nice. and we, we just really want to make sure that the rules of the game remain fair as best we can. But other than that, get the hell out of the way. Because as soon as we start yep. trying to dictate things, yep. um, our sort of communism, it gets very, even well, when well-intentioned. And I, I, I think a lot of people who subscribe to these ideologies do so for the best of reasons, right? Yeah, like, totally. Because they just care about other people yep. and other, you know, less fortunate people. That's and some right. people That's are right. smarter. Some people are more gifted in certain mm -hmm. areas. Mm -hmm. Some people have better backgrounds. And so they, they really come at it from the right way. But unfortunately, whenever you have people who have uh, 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 advantage in that, they will mm -hmm. tend to sort of feather their own nest <laughs> and it just ends <laughs> in, in a very dark place. I think that's a, I think that's a very good point. Um, let's move on then. Uh, before we, I'm, I'm going to make you wait to, to really get stuck in Tim Gurner. We'll, uh, we'll hold that off for a little bit longer. Just keep our listeners listening. If, you've, if you're if you been wedded by Rams regular. The other thing I might do, maybe we should have some sort of charity drive. Every time you say his name, we have to donate five bucks or something or something like that. Uh, we'll see, we'll see, yeah. see how we go. Make a fortune. Um, let's, let's, before we get to that, talk about Qantas. Speaking of another dumpster fire, as the Yanks like to say, um, eh, another court case. I don't know, again, you were flattening back most of this week. I, I'm sure you caught up with the news, though, that yeah. uh, they, the court found that the, sacking 1,700 workers was illegal. 
Um, I do think it was fascinating. I'm no lawyer, and we need, I want to be really careful here that I, I'm someone who always says, you know, I wasn't in the courtroom. I don't know. Um, the, the court hears the whole lot. I, you know, I, I think it's dangerous when we start telling the court it's wrong for reasons that suit our, you know, um, knee-jerk shock jockery rather than, rather than you know, the reality of actual justice being served. Not that it's perfect, but that's my starting point. I, I kind of think we should respect the court's decision. Um, it was interesting, though, mate. So a couple of things. One is... <laughs> I was going to say poor old Qantas. They bought it themselves. So maybe I shouldn't say poor old Qantas. I should say bloody Qantas or something else. Um, they, yet another public relations disaster. Uh, having, having sacked 1,700 workers that, you know, in the event was illegal, as the court found, the high court found. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I thought was fascinating, though, is that it's, a, it's an interesting... I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to suggest that Qantas maybe isn't so unhappy about this. Because... Oh, yeah. They were so they 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 were found to have sacked them illegally because they did it in part to avoid industrial action, which is illegal under the industrial relations rules. The court also found that they acted. I don't. I don't want to be careful. This is not going to be legally correct. So legal eagles don't don't at me. But they were found to have acted at least in part for sound commercial reasons. So on one hand, Qantas had a reason to do it that was not unusual or unreasonable necessarily from a from a corporate structure, corporate strategy perspective. But the other part of it was they did it at the same time to avoid that industrial action, which is the bit that, that trips the court up. In other words, had the workers not threatened to strike or they're not done it for that reason, they would have actually been okay to make these people redundant and move on. Mm. And so I think, what, and the reason I, I, I raise that is partly because A, these things are complex and it's always important to, to dig a little bit below just the headline um, that we often get presented with. But also my point about Qantas not being so unhappy about this, what the court basically found was, yeah, you guys did it for, for reasonable reasons, at least in part. And if Qantas thought that doing so would actually lower their cost base and make them a better business and all that kind of stuff on an ongoing basis, Qantas kind of still gets what they want. And like we've mm. talked about with companies who get fined for doing the wrong thing and maybe possibly just see it as a cost of doing business, I'm not entirely sure if you'd said to Qantas beforehand, look, tip a couple hundred million dollars in the jar, you can get rid of this problem and do it. I might have said, okay, that sounds good. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure they are so miserably disappointed. They don't have to reinstate the workers. So effectively, they get what they wanted. They're going to have to pay a fine to get to, get to do it, to get through it. And maybe on maybe that's justifiable, how, maybe it's how not. Big, maybe how big was the fine? We don't know yet. So it's still in front of the courts. Somewhere, uh -huh. the, the best guess is somewhere between $1 and $200 million. Oh, which okay. Is a, which is a large sizable. change. Yeah. By the same token, they made $2.5 billion last year. And if you can right-size, in, in quotes, your, your organization and save, in theory, to save money on an ongoing basis... I, I'm just, I'm just thinking. If you're, if you're Qantas, are, are you so unhappy? You don't want to lose the case, of course, because it's embarrassing and it costs you money. But you don't have to reinstate the workers, so you still get the outcome you're looking for, which is to make the problem go away. I don't know how much Qantas would have paid for that up front. I'm not entirely sure they wouldn't have paid the fine in advance. If they said, "Look, here's the thing: we're going to do this. We know what's wrong. Can we just pay the fine and do it?" I'm not sure they wouldn't have asked that question. I know that's a bit cynical. Uh, but like you know, like, like the advertisers, the telcos regularly get fined a million dollars for misleading advertising, and they go, okay, they pay the bill and keep moving. Um, you know, th there was a massive cotton station in Northern Territory, it was cotton in the Northern Territory, that was fined five thousand, eight thousand dollars for clearing acres and acres and acres of trees. It's oh like, my gosh! Right. So, so, so you kind of think at, at some level, I'm just, as I said, I'm just not sure that Qantas didn't at least. I'm not sure they would be too unhappy about it behind closed doors. That it's done. They don't have to reinstate the staff. They get what they wanted. Yeah, they have got to pay a fine, but at least they can get on with it. Uh, is that too cynical? Uh, I'd have to, I have to think about that. I mean, it depends on how the maths works out. True, so if yes. it's an eight thousand dollar <laughs> fine, it's the best thing ever for them, right? You know, right. yeah. If it's a billion dollar fine, then they've probably Correct. you know shot themselves in the foot. So yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah. To me though, what it points to is is mismanagement. 
Yeah. No matter which way you look at it. Oh, totally. <coughs> so it's either you allowed the workforce to become <laughs> too bloated in the sense yeah. that, you know, that, that, it, that such significant sharp action was required, yeah. which was a failure of management. Yeah. Um, or it wasn't bloated. Again, I really wish there was a better word to use. There probably mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, they, they just they, yeah. they employed more people than they realistically needed mm-hmm. and they let their cost structure blow out. Um, but or they didn't, and if they if they didn't, and then it's sort of like, well, then what are you getting rid of them for? Mm. Ne- because they, they, <laughs> exactly right. Do, there is there is no there's no outcome here that looks good. Well, it's just it's amazing how easy it can be to trick a lot of analysts and that we yeah. talked last <laughs> last week about like you can make a particular financial year look really great. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to cut all these workers. Now, yeah. there's a whole bunch of redundancy costs, but they're one off. So I'm just going to talk <laughs> about those. underlying yeah, profits. Right. So we just think we'll ignore that. And yes. wow, what an incredible result, except that the business is now yeah. <laughs> hamstrung and can't run properly. So mm. that that's to me, that's the real question is, is like what level of staffing is required to yeah. deliver the kind of service and minimum safety standards that are absolutely required? Yeah. Um, and, and how far away did you divert from that? The, the, <coughs> Pardon me. So sorry, everyone. Um, the we've spoken to a, a couple uh, management teams lately, and mm. um, I won't mention any names, but they <laughs> they had acquired a few businesses. And when you acquire businesses, sometimes you have you know, the term is synergies, which is a horrible <laughs> term. Um, but you just sort of like, well, I don't need two sets of bookkeepers. Yeah. I don't need two sets of you know um, overlapping costs that can be removed. So, yep. yeah. Yep. And the way that they did it was they just let it run down through natural attrition. Okay. We've got some people who are closer to retirement. So, we didn't just go in there and said, right, you're all fired. See you later. Um, <coughs> they basically just sort of said, well, we've got a little bit more than we need. We're just going to let it run down naturally until it hits something that we're sort of comfortable with. So, there's – now, you can argue what is the nicer way of doing right, it. Right, right. Um, versus what is the more uh, perhaps ruthless, but from a purely economic finance sort of standpoint, better way. Like again, mm-hmm. if my job is to maximize shareholder returns, what, mm-hmm. what do I what I need to do? Again, there's a wrinkle here though as well, and, and this is harder to harder to observe in in shorter term or even medium term timeframes. Is that the 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 uh, the cost that is difficult to observe there is if you're that kind of Tim Gurner-ish kind of person. <laughs> there's another. There's another mention. There we go. Um, what happens? All of a sudden, you can decimate the culture. And in fact, we saw in the AFR reported just yesterday that like one of the, one of his <laughs> his wellness retreat managers had to come and go. Oh no, he he didn't mean you. Um, to all the staff, he said, oh. "Oh, are we in trouble?" So. Here he is, you know, or, you know, someone like him saying, I've got to get rid of all of these people, you know, just because we we were too bloated. Again, a sign of your earlier um, poor management. But but what it does is now everyone is on edge. Everyone resents you. People are – look, here's the thing. If I want to bludge at work, I will bludge. Right now, you walk past my desk. I'm going to be typing away and really active. And the second you're out of sight, <laughs> solitaire comes back up on the screen. You cannot stop. There's a great movie, one of my favorite all-time movies, called Office Space, and um, uh, he, the, the the protagonist in that basically makes the point: is like my motivation is to do the bare minimum mm-hmm. to not get fired. Yep. That's my motivation. Yep. Right. So I think what you don't recognize when people like Quant will. 
companies like Qantas, if if they are unreasonable and unfair and unfeeling in their dealings, even if they feel as though there's some short-term rationale to it that that makes sense, I think you just end up having a very jaded workforce that's very un- – productivity is the, the topic du jour at the moment, right? You see, you see how productive your workers are when you know that they're not valued at all and they're going to be kicked to the curb on the slightest sign of any economic wobbles. So I, I, I look at other places where they really, really treat their – their staff uh, as family and look after them really well. And you know what? They go above and beyond. Um, uh, where they dig deep when they need to. They all act as a big team. Management share the spoils of of, of success uh, fairly equally amongst it all. These businesses hmm. may have poorer periods in, in the short term, but overall you have this culture that, again, you can't put it into a spreadsheet, but but – but it is very difficult, very mm. difficult to to uh, disrupt and and re- and replace. So I, I, a good example here might be um, Ben and Jerry's, which is the U.S. ice cream yeah. company, yeah. run by two hippies out of California, <laughs> and they just they just really lean into that. So they yeah. have some staff yeah. policy where the 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 top pay in the company can't be more than twenty times the bottom pay, for example. Yeah, they're really great. Um, uh, uh, employee share plans and all the rest of it. It's, mm-hmm. It is a family sort of kind of quote unquote family company um, where where one team, one dream, you know, mm-hmm. teamwork makes the dream work. And it sounds so lovey-dovey <laughs> and I feel as though it's right to do because th- it's right to do. Mm. But my argument here is a very long-winded one. I'm sorry, my brain's very foggy. But my, my <laughs> argument here is that I actually think over long the long term, yeah. it makes economic sense because you just have a better, more productive, more engaged workforce. So I, I agree, generally speaking, where the workforce's output is discretionary. So to your point, office jobs, you know, you, you, you run your own business, but uh, you know, I, I don't. So I, I could sit here and, and play solitaire or whatever else I can think of playing. Uh, it's been a long time since I played a computer game, so whatever it would be. Um, and, and slack off, and I might get away with it for 10, 20, 30, 40% of the time, right? So, so if I'm engaged, if I like my boss, if I like the company, if I like the work, if I feel like I'm in the service of something bigger, that's absolutely the discretionary effort thing that you can, you can bring out. So I completely agree with you at that level. On the other level, I'm just gonna, I just wanna play devil's advocate. We might've mentioned this last week, but if you've traveled in the US, you know they regularly overbook. The airlines are just terrible. No one likes them, but they exist in this kind of, general malaise of mediocrity because they can because no one else offers more so they don't and i i just gonna i i think there's an alternative universe where we think customer service is important because we want good customers as customers it may well be in telstra i own shares in telstra maybe a great example is where it's like we could invest more in customer service but most of our customers are going to stay anyway so why would we when you call corner say oh your call's really important to us the whole time is 14 hours and 48 minutes um you think okay you're obviously lying to it so what do you do well nothing Half of us are going to fly Qantas because there's only two airlines in the country. I'm and back to maybe the capitalism thing about competition. I just am not, I, I take your point absolutely 100%. But there are some businesses out there who frankly can survive and, and actually do better, even over the long term, by being really ordinary and taking out those costs. Does it matter the bags are thrown around? Well, I fly Virgin, but if they throw the bags around, where else do I fly? I, I got to choose the least worst bag thrower or the least worst customer service. There, there's something really rational about both airlines saying, what the hell are we doing with these fancy new flight lounges and whatever else is? Let's just, you know, the cozy duopoly would be charge a high price, donate capacity, cancel lots of flights, make the facilities rubbish because what else are they going to do? Drive? 
and, mm-hmm. I, and I think you know, it's at some level, you know, I'm, I mean, it's a, it's a dystopian kind of thought, right? But I'm not entirely convinced. I'm, I'm not sure it's true, by the way, either. But I'm not entirely convinced that any of the things that have happened recently are actually not in shareholders' best interest, even for the long term, mm-hmm. if there's no ever no prospect of a third domestic airline to actually hold these guys to account. Is that is that too dystopian? Is it, okay, I'm being no, cynical No, it's today, not. But- it's not cynical. No, it's not. I mean, and this is this is the problem with oligopoly, with duopoly, right. with monopoly. You know, any of the opolies. It's that's uh, <laughs> and, that's, and board that, games and board yep. games. Yeah, that's what's. I mean, that that is that is what it really sticks in my craw that people mm. who are sort of you know the defenders of capitalism are happy to sort of uh, <laughs> yeah, right. anoint certain companies and and uh industries with undue competitive powers yeah. it's like well no and somehow i believe that another airline might just happen to turn up I mean, compass tried it uh, how many compass airlines were there three i think ausjet yeah, yeah. tried it uh bonds is giving it a red hot go right now i can't even think mm. of the other ones that, that try anset went broke because virgin turned up i mean it's just, there, there is something there's some there's some reality about competition which is just like when it doesn't work it doesn't work yeah and you can't just say well competition will solve this like no we, we've tried we're still paying Actually, a fortune flights are being cancelled you know baggage handlers are you know customer service is terrible like, what are whatever do you need this is not working in this sector was it you um again brain's super foggy it's been a wild and wacky week but i <laughs> feel as i read a tweet from you this week on aussie broadband i'm um, yes. speaking of yes. telcos right yes. so um i have only from my sins mm. been with sort of the big telcos optus right. and telstra and they suck like am i allowed <laughs> to say that yeah, they suck it. they suck the service mm. is terrible mm. the costs are outrageous <laughs> And yet I have uh, the Aussie um, mm. listed on the stock exchange. Yep. And um, we had a bit of discussion on this on Strongman. But again, you, you just see it all the time. It's like, oh, the customer service is great. The yeah. service is, is brilliant. And when you look at I haven't looked this year, but the last time I looked at their customer growth, it was, mm. it was fantastic. And to me, this is a case in point. Because when you ring up someone, you actually you, you, you get someone reasonably quickly. They... Um, they're in Australia, so they they um, more more clearly communicate um, yeah. with the locals, et cetera, et cetera. They, they they spend more money doing this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, and I I wonder if that's not a good example of um, I think forget the sorry mate the context in which you raised it, but I, I wonder if that is an it was example of in this context. Yeah, ah, that's right. Yes, right. Where where people will go that little extra yard. Not for the fuzzy, warm feeling aspect, but because it actually delivers actual business results. And I think that's what knocks people out of these these situations where they can go, well, stuff it, what are you going to do? To my mind, that's, that's the difference because the ISP market is a market that seems to be working. The internet reselling business, competition is changing you can be an isp reseller yeah, it takes a lot of capital but not as much as putting planes in the air so there is you know and that's why i think you know markets what i what i you know what i really what i really despise is ideologues who can't see where their ideology doesn't work mm. I, same like for capitalism right? I'm, I'm a i'm a full-throated capitalist mm. and i acknowledge that it doesn't work in a lot of areas so we need to have regulation to fix it that that's the pragmatic middle ground right the ideologue who says free markets are always the answer Mm. It's like, well, let's talk about pricing externalities like pollution or, mm. you know, crappy you know, outcomes or whatever. In whatever Natural form. monopolies, like right? prisons. Kind of, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's times when it just doesn't doesn't work. And I think that's, to my mind, as you say, it works perfectly. And in broadband, it has worked, I guess he's up to 7 or 8% market share now, right? Yeah, and they're just, wow. every customer raves about them. 
It is yeah. just the simplest business model in the world, right? That actually do decent customer service, people will flock to you. It's it's been it's worked an absolute charm. Now not everyone will join us. You don't have to. That's the point. Competition lets people choose. What do you want? You want the big the big orange tea? Okay, well you'll pay up for that. Do you, mm-hmm. By the way, do you want more? This is not internet, but you know, mobile. Do you want co- more coverage? Yeah, well, you go with Telstra. Okay, cool. You'll pay for that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want you know simple local city-based coverage with really cheap prices, no service? Yes. Okay, choose that company, and around and around it goes. Um, I just think that that's that's the point. It, it's that's a great example side by side of here is competition at work. Here is where competition simply isn't working, at least to any 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 untrained eye, let alone trained eye. Um, airlines are not a competitive market. They need something to keep them honest because the duopoly will duopolize and again no with no with no collusion you don't have to collude if you know your competitor is going to be super rational and you're going to be super rational you can both you can both you know coexist perfectly well make a lot of money at unusually high margins because you don't compete now there have been times in the past by the way where the airlines have absolutely cut each other's throats and so i'm not saying it'll happen forever connors and anset and then virgin there have been times when they both went on a capacity war they all wanted their, their share of the market, so they went hard at trying to get passengers, try and beat each other. I would say, honestly, purely self-interestedly, purely logically, they're doing exactly what they should do right now. It is exactly right to say, let's cancel flights if we can get away with it. Let's charge higher prices if we can get away with it. Let's provide poor customer service if we can get away with it, because those things are all costs. So why would you if you didn't have to? And the answer is because competition isn't there, as you've rightly pointed out. Yeah, it's really important. It's, um, competition is, is, is what keeps this whole system honest, Correct. right? So you, you have to have it. You have to have it. Yep. And there are just some situations. And that and that that really, for my, you said before that like where we do need to tinker, I think we we don't do it in the, in the right way too often. Mm. What government's role should be is making sure that there is fair and, and uh, equal. You, you, let me start again. You want to reju- reduce the barriers to entry. Yeah, totally. I'll have a little whinge here again, just on our own uh, little industry. You yeah, know. Um, I had a friend recently who runs a fund, all kinds of onerous regulatory um, <laughs> stuff thrown at him, and mm. and it's like you're going to go, oh, what? So you're against regulation in funds management? You know, don't, don't retail investors need to be protected? Mm. It's like, well, obviously they do, obviously. But what you've done here is you've set it up in a way where it's sort of like for the big guys, for the AMPs and the perpetuals and the people that the Royal Commission have shown are just like bad actors, <laughs> right? Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, uh, for them, it's a rounding error. I just, I've, got a, yeah. I've got a whole team, a whole floor full of lawyers <laughs> and compliance officers that will just like, not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. For yeah. the one two-man show, it's existential if you yeah. increase the fees. And it's sort of like – I've I've seen it in terms of access to pricing data on the ASX. Yes. Uh, access to reporting uh, ASX announcements on your website. I mean, it is it is outrageous, outrageous. And I know I'm having a little whinge because it just it, it impacts me personally. It's all about and, you, Andrew. We know. That. And it's all about me. <laughs> but it's kind of like we wonder why there is such aggregation at the top end of of yeah. town in finance. It's because there's not. That they they talk a good talk, but the mm-hmm. reality is is that I would say cynically, conspiratorially, <laughs> a lot of these regulations are there dressed up as a means to protect the investor, mm-hmm. when really they're there to protect the oligopolies of the big bigger players, and it's just sort of um, yep. it, it, who suffers at the end? The consumer suffers at the end, 
And a lot of these, a lot of these um, institutions, I think, would be in a lot more trouble if it was easier for the proverbial, you know, business-based garage to sort of come in and say, "Hey, we're going to mm-hmm. offer a really good mm-hmm. service here," mm-hmm. and we're not going to be bogged down in really expensive, lengthy, costly uh, <laughs> compliance checks. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. not again. People misread that. And go, oh, so you're saying there shouldn't be compliance and regular no no i'm abs gosh of any industry that needs regulation (laughs) it's it's the finance industry um but but you don't need you don't need to make it so bureaucratic so much red tape so expensive so labyrinthine in 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 trying to figure out where i need a team of high paid lawyers just to understand what the hell you're trying to get out of it here and 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 that is the way in which we protect the consumer by by allowing businesses in the arena of capitalism to juke it out. And, and the consumer always wins when that happens. Do you, do you know what, mate? I, I actually don't think it's a conspiracy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. You know, when faced with the choice between stuff up a conspiracy, always take stuff up. I think it might have been a Neville Rand or something. Uh, it's, no, it's, uh, it's called um, Henlon's Razor. Please Never go. attribute to malice what can be adequately attributed to... Um, oh, God, now I forgot it. To... Stuff up. Uh, idiocy or something there like go, that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I only I say that because well I, th- I think I think it's I think there's malice involved I think there is absolutely if you're a, if you're a, so firstly if you're a regulator you're by the way Motlefield's a regulated business so please be nice to us ASIC. Uh well I'm not going to criticise you but I am going to I am going to say that I think I think bureaucrats are going to bureaucrat right and I think you know we, we've seen it with the bloody and I don't want to get political or even necessarily I don't want to go on this topic in detail. But the same job, same pay stuff that's being proposed, right? There's apparently a 500 and something or 700 and something page piece of legislation. And maybe it needs to be, but it probably doesn't. And and the more detail you add, frankly, the more loopholes you encourage people to find. Someone will find on page 648 where there's a colon missing, which means they can do something or whatever. Like, and I, you know, we didn't. And the only and the only person who can figure that out is the person who has the resources to right, throw enough enough lawyers and, and you know whatnot at it. Yeah. And so, so I think you know, bureaucrats go to bureaucrat, and if you ask some a bureaucrat what's the best solution, they will find some more bureaucracy to help solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think they are wonderful. We're doing a great job. Probably underpaid massively under-resourced in all likelihood but if you know if to a man with a hammer right that, that, that what do they have they have bureaucracy that that's their tool to solve a problem and so it tends to get solved that way the other thing i think is this is the this is the malice bit if you're a big guy and you can you can throw 15 lawyers and persuasive people at a bureaucrat and say let's talk a bit about this problem you guys have we think we have a solution for you and we see it in every you know why did facebook welcome regulation of social media because it's already the big dog right yep. and if you're the big dog of course you want that because it stops little guys getting involved do i think 100%. the regulators are deliberately being conspiratorial saying i'm going to protect you facebook because you deserve it i really don't i honestly don't i think you got no. you got the big guys trying to get the regulations they want and you got the bureaucrats saying well i've got bureaucracy as my tool and some really persuasive arguments every now and again we said speaking of our industry mate in funds management where i saw the bloody paper this week someone said there's a passive investing bubble <laughs> it, it, it just drives me nuts so somehow somehow passive oh we've got to talk about that market. too we have we to talk about we that do. i had it i forget yes motley fool money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener Passive investing is not going to destroy the stock. It's just like I, I pick stocks for a living. Andrew runs a business where people give their views on stocks. Passive investing is bad for both of that. If we had more passive investors, he and I would be rich. Well, I'd be richer. I might get paid more if I'm lucky. If I convince the boss, Andrew would have another a second or third lead yet. Um, but, but the reality, the reality is, passive investing is not. You know, it, it reduces my customer numbers, it reduces his customer numbers. 
It's also really, really great and not going to cause anybody any trouble ever. If it ends up being 99.8% of the market, then let's have a chat. Until mm. then, the self-interested bleating and carry-on by people who have either convinced themselves or frankly just probably lying to us is just maddening. Yep. Uh, but again, so why do they say it? Because it's self-interest. And at some point, I'm fearful, a regulator will say, yeah, good point. We shouldn't have too many index funds in, in managed funds because it might cause problems. Or super funds shouldn't use index funds because just in case there might be a, a bubble. It, it, you know, They will try their absolute damnedest to get what's good for consumers ruled out if it means it costs them money. And yes, I'm a cynical so-and-so. I did have someone, by the way, share with me the Matthew McConaughey, um, Leonardo DiCaprio scene out of Wolf of Wall Street. Where, oh, where Matthew McConaughey's, it's great and it's not suitable for work at all, uh, but at least the end of it. Uh, but, uh, but he basically says, we don't want people to take their profits and run. We want to give them a new best idea so they can reinvest that money and keep going until we make fee after fee after fee. And uh, Matthew McConaughey is, is able to do it in a much more uh, impressive way than I can. But suffice yeah. it to say, there is, there is self-interest everywhere. And if the regulators are under-resourced, convinced, not alert enough, uh, think they have their own solutions it can be an unholy alliance for i think i think businesses are absolutely trying to screw over the regulator don't get me wrong but the regulators i don't think there's a conspiracy there i think they're genuinely trying no. to do the right thing they just see every problem through their own lens and influenced by yeah you and i aren't going to get invited to asics offices but the big guys might be or, or might invite themselves say well let us help you let's make a, a let's make a, a proposal let us let's make a submission to your new plans mm. and maybe you can take that under advisement someone thinks oh that seems like a good idea that those people are smart and they have a lot of lawyers and that must make sense i don't think it's horrible i just think it's 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 absolutely terrible as an outcome yep. but i don't think the regulators in on it i think it's one of those things that is chronically under taught is um game theory um what was that Russell Crowe movie? Uh, Beautiful Mind. Yeah, crazy. Which is on, um, oh gosh, my brain is so foggy. <laughs> I want to say the mathematician. Oh gosh. Anyway, um, it's, um, it's. I, no, I can't remember either. <laughs> everyone's, oh, yelling, everyone's yelling at the pod machine. Everyone's right now. yelling at it, yeah. Um, um, Nash, Nash, Nash. John Nash, Nash, the Nash equilibrium, yes. And what's. So it gets very. It feels. So it can get very academic y, but. There are lessons mm. from game theory. Once you see it, it's, you see it every. It's one of those disciplines. Yeah, that's that, right, isn't it? You know, you don't know about it, then you learn yeah. a bit about it, and yeah. it's like, oh, there's an example there. Oh, there's an example there. And where it is is that you don't. This is like with the supermarkets, right? Or the banks. Oh gosh, two great examples, right? No one's CEO of CBA is not ringing up the CEO of ANZ and saying, mm. hey, listen, what are you going to do? They don't. They don't need to, mm. because they've both got. They both um, will signal. Not, not directionally, oh, sorry, in, intentionally so, but they both have their own incentives. Yeah. They both can communicate in, in indirect ways. And you will reach these equilibrium points where it's actually, it's, it's, it's kind of a prisoner's dilemma kind of thing where it's like we, we are both better off by doing yes, exactly. this. Yes, ex that's exactly And what I don't is. need to communicate That's exactly with you. what it is. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so I think, I think that's exactly what you're talking about. You're right. It's not a conspiracy. Um, at least let's hope it's not. But yeah. it is it is still nevertheless a, an emergent phenomenon that comes out Correct. of the, the, the current incentive um, that, that, are, that are at play there. Mm. And again, just to come back to, you know, let's Andrew and Scott fix the world, mm. <laughs> uh, episode number 432. <laughs> That's what government should be. I think when, when creating policy and, and these kinds of things, you need mm. to understand the way the world works and look at it through those lenses yeah. and recognize that, you know, these these dynamics are going to be at play and any policy that you put in place has to be in rec recognize the potential for these sort of um, 
yeah. cooperations, un, un, uh, non-specific cooperations to emerge and just and, and account for it and, and, and to prepare for it because they will. They will emerge and they will circle around the incumbents and they will act to protect them mm. and it will make all of us worse off if we're not careful. Um, yes, love how to put it. Go can on. we? Can we? Can we just go to? So you, I, I can't believe um, I, I didn't suggest this when we were chatting beforehand. <laughs> so in the AFR today, uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, yeah, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Johnny Shapiro, really great journo at the AFR. Big fan of Johnny. I'm sure he listens religiously every, every week. <laughs> Wouldn't miss it. Hi, Johnny. Um, he wrote a really good book. Co-author, a really great book on afterpay, actually. Um, uh, anyway, he had an article in the AFR talking about fund managers and the title was more than half of local active equity funds fail to beat the market mm-hmm. you go, oh that's pretty damning so if you go with a uh, active fund manager so mm-hmm. just a, on your point of active versus passive yes. here yeah. yeah half of them didn't beat the market now that sounds bad enough that sounds bad <laughs> enough right it's like flip a coin and i think you made the point well on average you know that's probably mathematically likely to be true but when you look over um, three, sorry, five, 10 or 15 year timeframes, so these are meaningful timeframes where mm. it's sort of like you, the longer you go in investing, the more it's about skill and the less it's about luck. Because, you know, the luckiest fool is going to do great yep. in short, yep. just, you know, and, and the smartest investor is going to look dumb over short periods of time. But what was interesting here is it wasn't that half underperformed. It wasn't 60%. It was 80%. Off. of these active fund managers underperform the market over 5, 10, and 15-year timeframes. Brutal. <clears throat> so just on your point, the point here is these studies come out all the time. Mm-hmm. I, like yeah, that's not new news, right? That's the other thing, exactly. Like, like every, yeah, like yeah, every yeah, couple yeah. of years, yeah. another series of ac- academics look at the data. Right. It's not Again, this is not a conspiracy, it's just the data. And they go, right. okay, well, all these results are – published right so let's mm-hmm. let's see how they went and you got to ask why and these fundies used to be a, a much higher before passive came along and sort of undercut yeah. them hmm, funny how competition <laughs> sort of yeah. really competition has that impact doesn't it yes, back yes, to yes. our earlier point but used to be about two percent two and a half percent so for every hundred bucks you're paying two dollars fifty not on based on performance just for whatever money you've got there, each year you pay that. I think now it's closer to 1.6%. Mm. So why am I paying 1.6% <laughs> on average for someone to, uh, for, to have a four out of five chance that you're going to underperform the market? I tweeted out jokingly. It's like, well, I, I can underperform the market by myself. Thank you very much. I don't need to pay anyone to do that, right? Like, and it is, it is a, I guess, the, what, the so what is, Mm. passive because you'll yeah. you'll guarantee to get the average by definition and and you'll have um uh, an 80 percent chance that you're going to beat the quote-unquote professionals over the long term yes um or do it yourself right like don't back yourself here because these these experts they're not that good and and here's the other thing there was another um article i saw as well where perpetual had a um i'm going to forget the specific details here but they backed up a, a younger fund manager who really had Actually, actually, outperformed the market slightly over. Look, the smallest time frame is to not be meaningful. A couple of two years or whatever, but it was hyper volatile. Down forty percent one year, up fifty percent the next. Mm. And you got the flick. Got the flick. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. So, what do you do as a fund? Anyone who's in the industry knows this. Mm-hmm, so, what do mm-hmm. you? What do you do? What you do 
is you call, it's called hugging the index. I look at the index and BHP in the all odds might be, you know, 3.6%. So I slightly over or underweight that depending on my view. And so I have this portfolio that kind of looks pretty much exactly like the index, slightly different. So I might underperform, but if I do, it won't be by much. Mm. I might outperform, but it won't be by much if, if I do. But you know what? I don't lose my job. Okay, but and you know exactly. what? <laughs> I get to, I get, it, what yeah. matters for a fund manager is scale more than anything else in the yes, world. Yes. So you and I can be doing the exact same job and you've got, you know, $2 billion of assets under management and I've got $10 million. Uh, you're just going to make a, even with much lower fees, you're going to make so much more money than me um, because you just get, ba- you get a pay, you get paid based purely on the amount of money that's there. So mm-hmm. when you look on this, I want to give a shout out to one of our members. <coughs> He's actually on Twitter, Arrow Invest. He did some really um, scathing comments the hmm. other day on some, and I won't name them because again, I don't want to get Thank sued, you. but some of these listed investment companies yeah. who have bled their investors dry mm-hmm. over the last five years. Again, meaningful timeframes where you can't put this down to volatility. It's like, well, every, you know, even, even yeah. Warren Buffett underperforms occasionally. Of course he does. Yeah, but, but not over these long-term timeframes. <laughs> but the, the egregious thing is, is that the fees that they, when you, because again, these are listed companies that they report all their numbers. Mm. And you go down into the notes of the financial statement and you have these guys all paying themselves literally millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So even if they eventually go out of business, like it was <laughs> a great right. ride, yeah. great ride, boys, and we they'll be clinking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> clinking their their flutes of champagne on their mm-hmm. yachts at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, I guess, the so what here is is just be very very careful before you give your money to. Particularly, I think any of the larger organisations with, yeah. with fund ma- funds management, because the, they are they have not covered themselves in glory, and the incentives are really not there to do much. Even if they do better than the market, they're not going to do much better. And, you know, you, you could do a lot worse than trying yourself. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the time or inclination, um, buy an ETF. Yeah. And I think that's, I've talked about the paradox of investing. There's, there's only a couple of quotes or lines I've kind of coined or, or kind of you know, grab onto. But the paradox of investing here is that as a group, we won't do better than average by definition. And yet there are some investors who should try and invest in buy individual stocks because they can beat the market, but not everybody can. So on one level, you're saying everybody should index, but those who can beat the market should try and beat the market. And you try and pull those things together. How, how is it possible that, 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 that that's the paradox, right? As a group, if we all just indexed, we'd all get the result and we'd probably save ourselves. Frankly, you wouldn't lose, so there's that. you save yourself fees, so there's that. So as a group, we should all index. But individually, a Warren Buffett should always pick stocks because Warren Buffett's Warren Buffett. And so there is that just inherent paradox. And so as investors, I think, you know, what you've talked about before about partly we do it to try and beat the market, partly because it's fun and partly because it's a hobby and keeps us off the streets and out of our wives' hair. Um, but... But there, there is some, you know, for, for some people, if you can't beat the market over an extended period of time, you should just say, okay, I tried, it was fun, it's not for me, I'm going to index because that's just a better result. If you can mm-hmm. beat the market, then go for it. And also, by the way, when you, whether it's you or choosing a fund manager, just understand the role of luck because that's a really important one too. You know, the five years you talked about, mate, maybe they're the unluckiest people in the world. Maybe they've just got the wrong style, the wrong stocks. They're actually really, you know, Buffett's had bad years and good years, as you rightly say. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, if you look at the Berkshire share price, as, as evidence of that. It's also a question of the market's sentiment as much as his performance, right? So the market hates him, shares go down. Is Buffett doing a bad job? Probably not. 
The market loves him. I, no, I own shares in Berkshire for full disclosure. Shares are up phenomenally this year. Like they're really, we talked about the other day about them being high. They've gone even higher since. I'm just going to quickly pull it up because it's, and not that there's no, you know, up 19% this year, uh, up 33.5% over the last 12 months. This, this, is a, this is one of the biggest companies in the world. Now, is the company a third better than it was a year ago? No, of course it's not. Is it too expensive now? I don't know. Was it too cheap then? I don't know. Is it somewhere in between? Probably. But, you know, just, just that reality of the other thing you've got to be careful of is, uh, is the stock picker wrong? Particularly a long-term stock picker. I mean, I, you know, I'm really lucky at Share Advisor, uh, the Motley Fool, right? I, I have never had anyone say, your last six, well, actually members do occasionally. No one at the company's <laughs> ever said to me, your last six months of picks suck. You're losing to the market. You're out of here. And in a fund, that's, as you said, mate, that's oh, yeah. exactly what they would do. You yep. say, sorry, Phillips. You, 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 and by the way, because the investor will pull their money. So the, other, yep. the only other thing I would say to you is uh, that's a, a li- it's a little jaundice, but also not untrue. What I would say is there are some really good fund managers out there who say to their investors, if you invest with me, know this is what I do. Know this is how I do it. Know this is what I'm planning to do. It yep. will mean some periods of underperformance and some yep. periods of overperformance. And in neither case, should you assume those things are permanent, I'm going to tr- genuinely try and beat the market over the long term and because the market's fickle, the market's fickle. I'm not going to shadow index to your yep. point, just because that's not my style. It's frankly not very, arguably, not very ethical, allegedly. Um, <laughs> I, I will I will take your money and I will try to beat the market over the long term with knowing that trying to do that, I'm going to be different to the market. So sometimes I'm a genius, sometimes I look like an idiot. It's pro- neither is probably true, but over time I'm going to try and beat the market for you. You, They are the, the fund managers worth paying attention to. Now, they can still aim to that and still suck by the way so i'm not saying they're necessarily great investments you can you can absolutely lose money doing it but just keep that in mind as well the the argument that you hear and let's take it seriously um is that the trouble with passive investing is that you have all of this money flowing into the market say from superannuation or just as people save and that money is being allocated to shares based purely on their current size and weighting within an index so not whether they're, it's, like, it's actually really antithetical to all of the good things of, of capital allocation. You would imagine that the capital should be attracted to, to businesses and enterprises that sort of deserve it and should flow away from those that don't. And again, we have this wonderful sort of self-correcting nature of, of true capitalism, which is a pretty good point, actually. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Mm. And that over time, <clears throat> if it's influential enough and there's enough money, you have this really big distortion where it's sort of like, yes. well, yeah. CBA is one of the biggest companies there and there's another 200 billion being added to the to the investment markets this year. So it's just <laughs> going to go, it's just going to get there and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that means that more money comes in is going to get through and, and it's so on and so forth. And it leads to these big distortions. And I actually think, yeah, there's, I've got sympathy for that. that. That actually mathematically, it's hard to argue against that. However, I would say for any capital, true investors out there, true capital allocators out there, this is mm. good. This is good for you because you you want distortions in the market, right? So you, I would I would argue that as that became, you, unless you get to a situation where every single dollar allocated is passive, mm. you will actually find that you won't. I don't know. I can't do the math. I'm not smart enough. But <laughs> I would I would imagine that so long as you even have ten percent of active capital allocation in there, mm. and that that ten percent isn't you know. Yes, yeah. stupid. <laughs> you actually find that that itself corrects for things because there'll be people who'll go short, those who go long. Go yeah, long. exactly. You know, it just doesn't really make sense for Commonwealth Bank to be on a PE of four hundred eighty-three. 
No, he just doesn't, right? And so, and, and at some point, financial gravity will sort of take over. So anyway, the, the, the point, just to underscore it is, Stay away from the big financial uh, fund managers. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Andrew Page, P A G, yeah. Uh, um, yes, I, I think that. I think that's. I, you know, I think that's largely true, mate. I, I, I don't think. I think it's likely there are law of averages. There are probably some good investors among the large fund managers. I, I'm a little less absolute than you. If you can find a genuinely good fund manager who's doing the right thing, I, I, Magellan would be in that bucket for me for for a long time. Whether it's still that or not, with a change of investment team, maybe I haven't checked recently. Um, I do think there are some big guys at Care Nielsen at Platinum in Japan for a long time. I, I, yeah, I think I think it's the exception that proved the rule. I think it's your point. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's you know we should tar most of them with the same brush, not necessarily all of them with the same you, brush. Maybe you're right. And, and, I, and, I, and the other the other thing that's worth underscoring here is not that they're idiots. They're not. Yes. Um, yes, yes. But the the institutional imperative. Yeah. Exactly. Is real. That's right. So if you put either of us, yeah. let's assume that we know what we're doing. Okay, big assumption, but let's assume that that's true. Just <laughs> for the sake, for, yeah. the, for the sake of example, yeah. I guarantee you that within a few years we're playing the same game. Yes, correct. Show me the incentive. I'll show you the outcome. It's just and like, that, I, yeah. why? Why would I make any long term bets mm-hmm. and and try and do? Um, some sensible stock picking yeah. if I know that the sword of Damocles is just forever hanging over my head and I'm going <laughs> to get, do you know, or that all, all, my, all my investors are going to flee at the first sign of volatility. I'm going to manage for the things that actually impact me personally, yep. which is why it's so pernicious. You know, again, it's just, it's just the nature of, mm-hmm. of things. And it's, it's why I think I often encourage people who'll say, oh, my gosh, you know, I own shares in a company. I just, I just saw the perpetual sold down. What do they know? You know, oh, yeah, exactly, well, exactly. They, they, they're probably just there's there are there are factors at play there that probably have no bearing on what you or I would consider sensible investment criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're reweighting their portfolio. Maybe they're having to um, cover some redemptions. Maybe they're trying to window dress for the end of a period. It's all factors that you kind of go, oh, but what mm. difference does that make? To the Why long would you term? exactly? Yeah, yeah. You know, like right. no, it doesn't make any difference. But then, <laughs> then it feeds on itself, and then others see it, and then you know a little bit of momentum kicks in, and all this. Not, and you know, before you know it, you're playing this silly game that can't be won and has no bearing on any sound financial investment principles anyway. So, yeah, um, yeah all of it's a lot. And again, not because they're dumb. But they're they they're, they're they're playing a different game and they are being influenced by different a different set of incentives. And again, this is a good thing. This is a good thing for us as individual stock. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, very very awesome. By the way, it applies to fund managers and funds similarly for exactly the same reasons. That if they mm. you know if you if you invest in one of the big funds and they underperform for a year, they know you'll take your money elsewhere because you they're they're attracting you know it's, it's a bit like shareholders, right? You kind of. At, at some level, you, you frankly deserve the shareholders you get. You get the shareholders you deserve. 100%. So if you play that game, then you can't be surprised when they leave. But if you are playing that game, and most people play that game, you say, well, hang on, the big money's over there. I could be the iconoclastic fund manager over here and, and raise a little bit of money and do okay. Or I could be one of the big guys, put two zeros on the amount of funds I've got under management and play the game. You're like, well, again, it's, it's, it's a chicken or egg. I don't know. If investors want that, you give it to them. Do you do you offer it so they they come to you? It's probably both, and it's probably neither, but it's yeah. that sort of story. Hey, mates, hey, we've we've chatted for a long time. Don't 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 wind it up just yet. No, I I'm not. Go on. Can we talk about Tim? That's why I'm that's why I'm trying to wind up this particular conversation because if I don't okay. do it, you'll make me come back and record a special podcast about Tim. 100%. So I'm, I'm I'm deliberately trying to shut that conversation down to give you some Tim Gurner time. Andrew, who is Tim Gurner? Why do you want to talk about him? 
Well, surprise, surprise, he's in the property development game. And, you know, talk about in this industry that's covered itself in, in glory. Anyway, there was a AFI held a property summit and um, a viral vi- video of him opining oh, on the state of unemployment went a bit viral. Uh-huh. So you even had like US politicians commenting on it as well. <laughs> and good old Tim basically said the quiet part out loud, mm-hmm. which was we need unemployment to go up 40 or 50%. Um, because people are too lazy and that this will sort of slap them around and teach them who's boss. I'm paraphrasing here, but not really. I mean, it, you, won't, you won't struggle to find it if you have a quick Google or look on, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, people are too complacent, people are too lazy. If unemployment went up, they would remember who is boss. Can I, can I read some quotes just for fun? Oh, please. All please. right, so this is, this is from the AFR. Quote, this is, this is Tim Gunner. Quote, uh, uh, sorry, uh, I'll, I'll, read the, I'll read the full article, including the quotes. Uh, this is from the AFR. Exacerbating the labor problem, Mr. Gurner said, quote, uh, sorry, so Mr. Gurner said, were people who had, quote, decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID. Unemployment has to jump 40 to 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy, end quote, Mr. Gurner said. Quote, we need to remind people they work for the employer, not the other way around. Tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. They've been paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need to see that change. End quote. Alongside a drop off in productivity, Mr. Gurner slammed the planning system in New South Wales, which he called genuinely, a quote, genuinely terrifying, unquote. Didn't go well. It, well, it, it didn't go well. And because, man, <laughs> tone deaf. You know, he's probably... Oh. Here's the thing, though, right? And a lot of I'm not. There's no original takes in what I'm going to say. There's some really good comments on on Twitter and the rest of it. Mm. But it it was. He's actually not. He's actually not that far at all. With like the new RBA boss, pretty much said the same a few weeks mm. ago. Now she put it in. Her framing wasn't so much about punishing people and teaching yeah, that, them a and lesson. That, and the framing matters, right? That that was my issue because you're right. There is that mm. same. We we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. At yep. some level, the economy has a level of unemployment that is caused. The other thing was Michelle Bullock said that's that's what's going to happen because we're targeting inflation, rather than Gurner saying we really need to punish those poor, dirty workers because we need to go back to Charles Dickens' time and that would fix things. It's a very, very different cause and effect in a very different, different direction. Yeah, but it, but it, I, I mean, we've had this conversation before, so I won't I won't rehash it. But I, I do I, I I guess I I do think that some of those um, cause-effect relationships are wrong. You know, making people unemployed to reduce the price of milk and bread is just nonsense, mm. to, my, to my way of thinking. Yes. But he, <coughs> the, the, I guess the other thing is you've always got to look through people. Oh, by the way, this is the, um, this is the gentleman that, that coined the um, avocado on toast. <laughs> he meme. I like, love that oh. someone found that a couple of hours later. I was like, oh, this is the guy. It's like, yeah. oh, of course it is. Two of for two, my is. man. You're well done. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, there's another one, too, of him in his hyperbaric oxygen chamber getting a magnesium no. treatment. You know, it's like, oh, really? God's sake. Yeah. Like, you know, talk about detached from reality. There's there's um, <laughs> is also I, I really I really struggle with people who love to tell mm. us all about how it needs to be done. And look at me. I'm I'm a captain of industry. I look how hard I worked and the yeah. value I created and all this stuff. Obviously, if you go back and have a closer look at this guy, um, he started his business because granddad gave him a bunch of money. Yeah. Right? And, and, he, again, and no, his boss fronted him some cash too for a, a Renault. You know, it's sort of like uh, I, there's this wonderful thing that I've – it's back in 2017. I'm going to read this out as well. Go on. I love it. It's from an unknown person on, on Reddit. Okay. 
Says entrepreneurship is like one of those carnival games where you throw darts or something. Middle-class kids can afford one throw. Most miss. A few hit the target and get a small prize. A very few hit the center, bullseye, and get a bigger prize. Rags to riches. The American dream lives on. Rich kids can afford many throws. If they want to, they can try over and over and over again until they hit something and feel good about themselves. Some keep going until they hit the center bullseye and then give speeches or write blog posts about meritocracy <laughs> and the salutary effects of hard works. Gosh, I didn't say that right. Poor kids aren't even visiting the carnival. They're the ones working at it. Yeah. And I love it. I love it because- It's the last summer, isn't it? You know, it's, it's sort of- Again, I don't want to begrudge those that have taken big risks and yeah. have worked hard yep. and have, have enriched society as a result of, of, of their efforts. They deserve rewards. But bear in mind that we are all a product of our circumstance and where we are lucky enough to be born with our abilities and talents and, and our background. And I reckon you could, if I took Scott Phillips as a young child and put you into a the home of a billionaire, Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have multiple huge yeah. big businesses now. Yeah. Same person. Yeah, you just totally. got to try again and again. And mm-hmm. I think these mm-hmm. kind like the, to sit there yeah. and tell tradies that they're not working hard enough, mm-hmm. you know, when it's just like, well, mate, we'd all love to be, you know, on the BRW rich list too. And probably would have <laughs> been if, if we'd had the opportunities in life yeah. that you had. The other thing that's important here to understand is the context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I understand it, a whole bunch of his projects are, are struggling. So they, they've been priced very poorly. So uh, building material costs have gone up and all of, all of these, all, all of these uh, very significant number of these projects, allegedly, allegedly, um, uh, are looking very dodgy. And so rather than have a good hard look at just them- Just so I do want to say dodgy, we don't mean illegally dodgy, you just mean possibly unprofitable. Oh, you just, you, you, you priced- yeah, things. I just, I, just want to, I just want to clarify dodgy. That's what. Dodgy yeah, sorry, sorry. Things, so yeah, just, not not right, right. not illegal because yep. property developers are, are the cleanest of the clean. You know, they like real estate agents <laughs> and, uh, and and mechanics, right? So they, every every week we have fewer and fewer listeners, and sometimes I wonder why. Other times I remember that uh, you're, you're liberal with your uh, your hatred. Like, I am, I'm, I am. But but you, but, but, but my my point is is yeah. that like anyone who's run a business out there, you know, Poo happens, right? To keep your language clean, and well, and it's it's tough, right? Yeah. And things, and and you, what you what do you do? Well, one, you never take risks where the, the various vicissitudes of life can just like knock you for mm. six and and, mm. and represent an existential threat. But when they do, understand that there's decisions that you have made, and sometimes chickens come home to roost, yeah. and and that sucks, and that's just how it goes. That's why there are such good prizes for winning, right? Because <laughs> because of the risk that that's is important. is involved. Yes. Yes. But when it goes wrong, it is such poor form just to point around and go, oh, it's not my fault. It's, it's my workers' <laughs> fault. They're not trying hard enough. It's like, you know, it's just like, look, when, when we eventually eat the rich and the revolution happens, like we're, yeah. people are being lined up against walls, this dude's going to be the first one that's there, I, I suspect, and, and maybe, maybe not without good reason. Oh, very funny. I um, no, I think that's I think that's right, mate. I think uh, so. So I actually want to because I because I feel like I should do the right thing here. Um, to be to be clear, maybe he doesn't deserve it. Maybe he does. Uh, but I will just note he did uh, sincerely regret in quotes. Oh, he regrets. He, he regrets the reaction. Let's be I, honest. He doesn't regret saying it. He regrets that. Oh. People that didn't probably, like what I said. That is probably true, but we should at least, uh, out of fairness, acknowledge that he has actually apologized or regretted or something. Uh, he, he says, dip, uh, at the, quote, the AFR Property Summit this week, I made some remarks about unemployment and productivity in Australia that I deeply regret and were wrong. 
There are clearly important conversations to have in this environment of high inflation, pricing pressures on housing and rentals due to lack of supply and other cost of living issues. My comments were deeply insensitive to employees, tradies and families across Australia who are affected by these cost of living pressures and job losses. And he goes on from there. And that's uh, a, 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 great, great. His, his lawyers are uh, earning their their uh, their bread this week. Let's just say. I, you know what I loved in the back, by the way, the second paragraph was like, well, there are clearly important conversations about these things that I talked about. So I'm not really regretting. I just regret yeah. that people, as you say, were. Anyway, um, I, mate, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think... Um, you know, I think I, I've stopped reading a lot of business books um, because Me too. I should say biographies specifically. Yes, because yeah. it's kind of the survival, the survivorship bias that is one of those things in in economics and statistics that really matters. And I, I liked your Reddit example. I hadn't heard it expressed that way, but it's absolutely true. And you're right. If if you or I had been born to a family with with un un you know um, unlimited means. And we wanted to start a business. We could have had as many goes as we wanted to. And frankly, we talked about last week, the week before. There's so much pros who do succeed on their second, third, and fourth businesses. Not always because they're they're uh, they're kids of rich people, by the way. But just that idea of having enough time to keep going, having enough space, money, opportunity, frankly, connections are really, really important. Yeah. But even but even that aside, the just the sheer even if even if there was not wealth, and there was in this case. So, and I take your point about he's obviously coming from a privileged position. But even even all that aside. If you just start from, luck happens. You know, I've said before, Steve Jobs is born 10 years earlier. He doesn't invent the iPhone because Gorilla Glass and Wi-Fi and what was then 3G yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. In fact, there wasn't even Wi-Fi at that point. You had to transfer your, your, your data by a yeah. cable from your computer, right? So, you know, there, there is circumstances and, and he would have had some, and I'm, he's a, is he a genius? Of course he is. And mm. is he a fantastic, yes, he, and mate, would he have invented something else? Maybe. But the role of luck, you know, the the, the second guy to, to think about touch touchscreen glass doesn't get there because the iPhone, you know, again, if jobs are in six months later, maybe someone else invents the touchscreen phone and, and on and on it goes. Yeah. And I guess I just say that because there's so much there's so much luck involved that looking at people's books and saying, oh, I made it because I did this and this. Like, well, you had to do those things to make it. Yeah. But the role of luck and circumstance and, and everything else that goes into it, um, that in a different circle, you know, I've said many times, if Tesla, if there was a recession in Musk's first couple of years at Tesla, Musk himself has said the company would have gone broke. Yeah. So we owe Tesla's existence, better or worse, depending on your view, um, to the fact, oh, my son, son owns a fraction of a share, as I said before, for full disclosure, because I do that. Um, you know, we, we owe Tesla's very existence to the fact there happened not to be a recession at the wrong time for Tesla. Yeah. That's literally sliding doors, right? So, yeah, yeah I, I well, completely quick, agree. Quick Flicks in Australia, right? Like, no one yes, will remember this, but it was an ASX-listed company it called was. Quick Flicks. QFX. And it, if that sounds like Netflix, it's because it was. <laughs> and it failed miserably. And why did it fail? With a yeah, yeah. terrible business? But no, yeah. that, there wasn't the broadband infrastructure mm-hmm. available at the time. They were too mm-hmm. early. Yeah. If Quick Flicks had, had started in Silicon Valley at a time when there was yes. enough supporting um, a cable infrastructure... They would be, we would now be all talking about our QuickFlix subscriptions and not our Netflix subscriptions. Yeah. It, luck is phenomenally important. Yes, you've got to work hard. Yes, you've got to be smart. Yes, yes, yes. Like that's, that, that just gets you to the starting line. Yeah. And then, then there's a it. huge yeah. amount of – and that's, that's just how it is. And, and, yes, people make their own luck. I get that. That's also very true. Um, you've got to work bloody hard. But everyone has to work yeah. bloody hard. The, the failures worked just as hard as successes. Oh, look, I've, I've, I, yeah. I'm sure we all know someone – Yep. who's the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. um, uh, who's a bloody hard worker, mm-hmm. and who's just unlucky in life. 
like we all do, right? Yeah. And and it's 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 just it's just the way of the world. So I guess what I'm saying is, you don't begrudge anyone their success. You know, yeah. well done to you. But I, where it gets me is when they turn around and go, "Well, look, I did it, therefore anyone can." And if you're poor, it's because you choose to be poor. And mm. that's I think is just such a the, such a bad take. There, but for the grace of God, you know. Exactly. Do you feel expunged? I do. I'm going to have a little lie down now, but I'm I was going to say so with, with you, a you smile were, you on were my much face. more vibrant in the last 15 minutes of the podcast than the first 15. <laughs> not, not, not for any, any fault of yours, just because, uh, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it, worked, it worked pretty well. Um, I'm glad you got that off your chest, man. I hope you're feeling better. Uh, do you think you'll be up for a, a Sunday podcast? I'll give it a go. I feel, I feel uh, as I said to you before, look, let's be real. I'm not, I'm not up on a roof, you know, tiling or I'm sitting in a chair with my Ugg boots on talking. So I don't, I don't want to pretend here that I'm like, you know, making, making a big sacrifice. So let's give it a go. You are still throwing. Well, the the only problem is it's hurting you. Your your throat's crook and you've you've got to talk. So there is, you know, you're right. We're not digging holes and we're not, we're not putting tiles on roofs, but uh, we we will see how we go. If we are back on Sunday, we'll have something for you, but I hope Andrew might be back with us at least for part of that time until Sunday morning. Have a great weekend and fall on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.